This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Well, good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Come on, you have a three-day weekend for most of you. How's everyone doing this morning? I still feel like not enough of you are excited about that. Maybe you all have to work. I don't know. But uh, I'm excited you're here today. I'm excited for the message we have um, in store. Um, I know it's been a good weekend for some Celtic fans in the building. <laughs> if anyone watches basketball, Jesse's Celtics last night pulled off a miracle, and they got a game seven, and they can make it happen. So Jesse's in an extremely good mood today, so don't try to ruin that for him, Okay. Anyway, uh, I'm excited for today. We're going to be closing out our Love Where You Live um, series today. But um, before we get into that, I want to give a couple of announcements. The first thing this morning is that Outflow is next week and say Outflow. And I can tell a lot of you excited about that. If you've not been a part of our church for Outflow before, that's where we dismiss our Sunday morning services so we can go out of the building and try to be the people of God through the, the, the tangible means of serving our community. And so we have all sorts of projects, 13 projects, correct? Um, and honestly, the signups are looking pretty decent today, but we do, we would, it would be awesome if we could have like 25, 30 more people, 35 more people. So if you've not signed up, there is something for everyone. You can just walk around and pick up trash. Um, there's weeding, there's projects here. If you're low mobility, there's, there's something for everyone to do a physical act of service to our city. So I encourage you, please sign up for that. Um, we really, really want to impact our city, not just because we pray about it or talk about it, but because we actually do it, Right right? That's good. Okay. The second thing is that, like I said, this is the last week of Love Where You Live. So that means next week's outflow. That means the next week after five months, 18 weeks, we're kicking off a brand new series called Bible 101. Okay. So I'd, I'd encourage you to be here. Um, I'm excited about the series. Bible 101, I think can mean a lot of things and we'll get into that when the series comes. But ultimately, Bible 101, our heart's desire is that we would stir up an inspiration inside of you to pursue the Bible yourself. We're not going to just come and talk about the Bible and how many books are in it. We're going to try to show you why the Bible is worth investing your time into. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to come with an open heart to go like, no, like I can always be challenged in my spiritual walk with God. I can always be challenged in this. So well, we're excited for that. We're also giving a practical means to not do it by yourself, but that's why we have a soap group coming up um, this summer. It's going to last during the duration of the series, and so you can find the information on our church app. It was also in the announcements, but I encourage you to sign up for that. So say that's a good word. All right, with that being said, we're stepping into the final week of Love Where You Live. Who's excited? Who's been challenged by the series? Well, I'm glad. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, we made it. We made it. Um, it has been a, a big journey, and my hope is that today is um, that you would be challenged challenged by what we're going to do today, that you would not just let the series be information that you've heard for five months now, but that this would become something that changes your life, that the question we've been asking of what would happen if you love where you live, it would not just be a, a question we asked for five months, but it would be an ongoing question that you gauged your life off of, that until you took your very last breath, you would continually go, what would happen in my life if I love where I live? What could God do through me if I love where I live? And so um, we're excited for this. Um, I'm excited to see how this is going to pan out, so I encourage you to put your practical thinking caps on this morning because there's going to be a request of you at the end that you're going to have to participate. I'm not going to just, we're not going to just pray and then walk out of here like it was a good spiritual message, but we're going to actually put some practical to this. So my challenge, honestly, my, my, before I get into this, my challenge is that you would continually look at the transformations that we've talked through, the phases of transformation, and you would walk through the rest of your life going, God, I'm open to you transforming me in these different areas. God, I want you to change who I am personally. God, I want you to change my home. Whether I have kids in the house now, whether it's a roommate, whether I'm by myself, God, whatever it is, God, I ask that you would change my home. My home would be a beacon of light for you. It would be a place where the enemy has no foothold. I, I would challenge you that as you look and go, no, my circles of influence, no one else has the circle of influence that you have. So you can, you can uh, make excuses if it's not, as, it's not as big as this person's or whatever, but no, no one works the job you work. No one does what you do. No one has the friends you have. No one has the personality and giftings God created you to do. So you should constantly be transformed in those areas. And finally, ultimately, I, I hope that our city's better because you're in it, that Relevant Life Church is in it. And that can be talk and hoorah, like all we want, but ultimately, like God wants to do that. 
That Pentecost Sunday, he, he gave his followers this gift of the Holy Spirit, and they transformed from shy disciples hiding in an upper room to not caring if they were persecuted because they so believed in loving where they lived. And so I, I pray that on our community today. So as we jump into this final week, we wanted to make this as practical as possible. And so what we're going to do... Um, today is we're going to do some different TED Talks, and our staff's going to get up here in just a second. But I really quickly, I need to speed up. I'm talking too long. Sorry, I haven't preached in a while. But the title of the message is today, today is Find Your Place on the Wall. Turn your neighbor say, Find Your Place on the Wall. And this might be a little bit of an interesting title, but I'm going to unpack it here. But I'm going to pray just 10 seconds really quick God, to ask God to bless this word. So, God, we just thank you, God, for the opportunity we have. God, I pray that each one of us would have a burden. God, in that as we walk out of here, God, that each one of us would have a practical takeaway from the series. God, it would not just be information, God, but it would be life change. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So find your place on the wall. This, this message title was birthed out of Nehemiah chapter 3, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And I encourage you to turn there this morning. I'm not going to read it, but I am going to give you some information about it that you may want to jot down in the margin or on a piece of paper and throw in your Bible to look at later this week. So really quickly, so you guys see the... the, the um, the historical um, perspective leading up to Nehemiah. Let's back up real quick. So in the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and earth. He said it was good, right? He created humanity, all these different things. Well, in Genesis 3, humanity went awry. Creation fell apart. Sin entered the equation, but God didn't leave humanity stranded. In Genesis 12, he comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make a nation that's going to be, I'm going to bless this nation, and through this nation, the, the whole earth will be blessed. And this was a redemption plan that has carried throughout the whole Bible. We're living in it right now. And so long story short, um, this comes true. Abraham's descendants actually become a big nation, but this nation ends up being in slavery. God delivers them out of the nation of Egypt where they're currently in slavery. He takes them to this promised land. And, and then as they go into the promised land, God gives them a caveat like, hey, you will stay in this land as long as you stay in the covenant that I've put before you. But long story short, the nation of Israel ends up breaking this covenant and a nation, another nation comes in and takes them captive. And so they're stranded. And last week, if you were here, Pastor Kevin talked about Jeremiah 29, which in this passage, Jeremiah is writing to those taken into captivity because of their sin. And so long story short, God ends up taking them again out of captivity, taking them back to the land. So over time, they're entering the land, which is where we get to Nehemiah. Because what's happened is when they were taken captive, the nation of Israel had been, uh, Jerusalem specifically, the walls had been torn apart. The city was in complete ruins. And so that's where we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 1 where it says, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah, this is chapter 1, with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And if you remember back in January, Pastor Kevin preached a message on this. But he didn't go further. And that's where we want to go today. So really quickly, before we get into the, the, the meat of this message, what happens is Nehemiah gets a burden because of the news he hears about the city. He's brokenhearted to see that the city was in shambles. And God puts a burden on his heart that Nehemiah should go rebuild the wall. So long story short, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and he begins to rebuild the wall. And in this passage of scripture that I'm not gonna read, but you will read this week, right? Um, you see that Nehemiah gathers all these different people and they accomplish this massive feat. A wall that had been broken down for 140 days was rebuilt in 52 because so many people together did their part to rebuild the wall. And this is where it comes into play for our, our message series. And so rather, again, than reading this chapter, um, I'm going to really quickly um, just give you a couple stats. So first of all, in this chapter, 32 verses, um, there's a bunch, of horrible or a bunch of horrible names that I would not be able to pronunciate. But the summary is this. 38 individuals were, workers were named in this chapter. So 38 different people. 42 different groups are identified, and there probably was more. This chapter mentions all sorts of people and occupations who helped. Rulers of districts, so meaning leaders, right, the, the, the high up rulers, rulers of half districts, priests, men and women, young and old, goldsmiths, perfume makers, and people from outside the city. So in other words, there's people from all walks of life, all different giftings that helped do this. Some people built gates, some people built the walls, some people just built in front of their house, and some people built more than others, but everyone did their part. And so what I want us to catch today is that these people loved their city and they did something that in all rights and purposes history records as miraculous, 52 days to build this wall. But what would happen in your and my life metaphorically if we rebuilt the walls of this city? 
The walls in that day like, represented wholeness and peace and safety. What would happen if you and I dedicated our lives through the Holy Spirit's empowering to go, no, I'm gonna love where I live. I'm gonna restore this place to wholeness. And the reality is not one of us can do it. All of us have to do it. We have to do our part to love where we live. And so the question I wanna, or the, the, the statement I wanna make is that everyone has a part to play. The question is, will everyone play it? Will everyone play it? Everyone has a part to play. Will everyone play it? And so today's challenge is for you to identify your place on the wall, the metaphorical wall of this city. Where are you going to love where you live? And my challenge is you're not going to go like my, my kids because I'm a parent. No, like you can be out in the city. Where can you love? That could be a coffee shop that you regularly attend. That could be an Uber driver that you ride with constantly. That could be being an Uber driver and you just try to tell everyone and try not to get low ratings because you're telling everyone about Jesus. Um, you, it could be um, your job. Whatever it is, you need to find your place on the wall. So what we're going to do today is our staff is going to get up and in five minutes they're going to basically answer the question of what was their biggest takeaway from the Love Where You, Love Where you Live series and how can they apply it to their life. And our hope is that as they do this, you would start to remember what the series has been about. Maybe the Holy Spirit would speak to you. And then at the end of the service, you were given a note card for a reason. Your job is going to be to identify your place on the wall, to specifically write down, this is where I'm going to love where I live. It's going to be this person. It's going to be this place. Sound good? Okay. So without further ado, let's welcome up Pastor Sarah this morning. Good morning. How are you guys all doing? Good, good. I'm glad that everybody's here this morning. So the biggest takeaway that I had through this entire series really started at the beginning, and it really stirred my heart through, through each week, and that was the idea of choosing to change me first. So my, the thing that I'm bringing to you guys today is that if we are going to love where we live, we have to intentionally seek God first. And so as I was processing through this, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about examples in my life and then people in the Bible who I can look at and be like, they intentionally pursue God first. And I could think of so many people, PK, Allie, Pastor Trent, and our entire staff, Jesse, right? Pastor Rhonda, for sure. But the person that I came to mind in the Bible was King David. And when you look at his life, King David's life was far from perfect. We can read uh, story after story about how King David messed up, put himself in situations, but yet the Bible still says that he was a man after God's own, own heart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be a person that is fully seeking after Jesus? And so I came to this conclusion, and is that if we are going to love where we live, we have to first ask ourselves this question. Am I someone who is seeking after God's own heart in my life? It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that everything we do is perfect. It doesn't mean we're supposed to have it all figured out. It doesn't mean we come to Jesus with all the answers because then you're missing the point. It means that loving where you live has to be an outflow of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your own heart first. And so if we're gonna love our city like Jesus, like we've been talking about over the past 18 weeks, we have to first seek after him with all we have. I want to make sure that you guys know that I'm saying this and I don't want you guys to feel like, man, like I'm sitting here today and I don't, I don't, I don't feel like that's where I'm at. But this can be a moment that you guys can step into it as, as we go on. And so a quote that PK has told me a lot um, and he has shared with our staff over and over again is a healthy you makes a healthy we. And so truthfully, if you're gonna love your city well, if we're gonna love Salem well, we have to prioritize our own health. And the biggest thing that keeps us healthy is being in step with the Holy Spirit and letting Jesus work through us. And so there's this weird tension between following Jesus and knowing that he has the power to change the people in our city and save them, but also we have this tension where we have to take it by like the horns of the bull, right, and do it ourselves and get out there and, and get dirty and, and do life with people. We have the opportunity to be in relationship with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus, but we also get to seek out God's face. We get to see him in our own lives. We get to seek deeper relationship with him. We get to read our Bibles and learn more about God and, and learn more about the people who came before us who can show us how to seek after God's face like King David did. And so as I was processing through this, I was thinking in Kids Church, we made a curriculum change in the last year and we're using True Fire curriculum. And one of my favorite things about this curriculum is that it teaches the kids that the whole Bible is a constant story. From Genesis through Revelation, it's all connected and there's all one plan and one purpose and that's Jesus. And we can see that through Genesis all the way through. 
So with that, our lives and decisions do not just affect ourselves, our own relationship with Jesus. They, they don't even affect those sitting next to us now, but they affect generations to come after. They affect years and years down the road, just like King David's life. We still read about it. We still look back and see, man, he was a, God after, he was a man after God's own heart. And so I think about my future family and my family now, and I know that I want to be somebody who they know sought Jesus with everything. I want to be remembered as somebody who sought after God's own heart, and they, my family could see that in every decision I made. And so today I want to give you guys two practical questions that I'm asking myself and I want to share these with you guys. And the first one is, do my actions reflect that I'm after God's own heart? Does everything that I do, even though I'm going to make mistakes because I'm human, right, and I'm sassy Sarah, that's what my friends call me, but do my actions show that I'm after God's heart? Can my friends see it? Can my family see it? Am I in my Bible? Am I, am I seeking his face in my life? And then the second one is, am I prioritizing seeking God's face through prayer? Do I take my spiritual responsibilities seriously? Because if you don't start there, you might as well not go out to outflow because you have to seek God's face first. And so today I wanna leave you with a few verses from Psalms 23. If you know anything about David, I don't have time to go into it, but, but he wrote a bunch of the Psalms and you can read about his life and I wanna encourage you guys to go into the Old Testament and read about his life. But these few verses really show that David took the time to see God's face. And you can read through the Psalms and not every Psalm is super happy and amazing. There are Psalms where he's like yelling at God, right? And crying and, you know, wishing hate on his enemies, all sorts of stuff. But in Psalms 23, the first three verses, it says, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. He leads me beside quiet waters and refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And so I wanna encourage you guys this morning to press into that relationship with Jesus because at the end of that, the end of that verse, it says, he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. So I want to encourage you guys, press into Jesus just like King David did. Ask yourselves those practical questions and watch Jesus change those around you from the outflow of your relationship with him. So with that, I'm going to invite Pastor Jesse up here. Hey, on the count of three, I want you to shout as one unified voice. Love where you live, all right? One, two, three, love where you live. You see, when we're unified in this mission, we will have a louder impact where we live, united in the Great Commission and united in this mission to love where we live as a church. We must be unified, all on the same page and participating together in this mission to accomplish loving where we live. Let me show you what I mean. In Romans chapter 15, Paul pulls together the message of his letter to the Roman church by focusing on two ideas in particular, unity and mission. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 7, says, Therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God's true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. Starting in verse 16, For by God's grace I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. Number one, pursue unity. Paul says, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. How do we accept each other? How do we accept each other's differences? How do we find unity in our diversity? Our source for that ability is not found in ourselves. We have to live an empowered, filled, and anointed life found in the Holy Spirit, if we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us in the midst of chaos, in the midst of this broken and sinful world, in the midst of disagreements, in the midst of petty debates on politics, we will overflow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. That's how we build unity. You want to rebuild the wall? We have to be unified. Amen? 
We find it easier to split when we disagree than to find unity in our diversity. I don't like the teaching. I don't like the person next to me. You know, the worship really isn't that great. I don't like them, so I'm going to find a different church. Paul's challenge was to pursue unity even at the cost of personal freedoms at times. It wasn't go ahead and find the church that lines up closest with what you want. It was the sacrifice so that others could encounter the living God, so that others could encounter the Holy Spirit in a fresh, real, tangible way that, it, that transforms their every being. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, all the ways that we classify ourselves and label each other are gone. There's just one thing that matters, that we are one in him. Unity. Why is unity so critical? Why is it worth sacrificing personal freedoms and preferences for unity? Unity reflects a higher perspective, a greater confidence. It enables believers to both see and pursue the mission to love where we live. Number two, live missional minded. The fruit of unity is all of us together loving where we live. And one of the greatest distractions from that mission is disunity. Paul says that this won't happen in our own strength and willpower. Even Paul was only able to do so by the grace of God. He was only able to do so empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to be overwhelmed at times by the task. We're called to reach this city. We're called to reach the world, to be God's representatives to the world around us. Which brings me to number three, start in your corner. When I was 18, a mentor gave me a book called What to Do When Your Mom or Dad Says, When Your Mom or Dad Says, Clean Your Room. What I think I liked most about it was that it created small victories. It told the reader to first make the bed and then pile everything on the bed and then finally start in one corner of the room and start cleaning. Instead of thinking about the entire city and being overwhelmed, start in your corner and clean there. The Holy Spirit doesn't just want to do a work in you. He wants to do a work through you, where you work, in your business, at your school campus, in your neighborhood, in this city. Ask God to give you wisdom. Ask God to give you an opportunity to share with them the hope that you have. Because no one else has your story. You're, you are a special messenger from Christ Jesus to the city of Salem and to this world. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work in someone's heart, not us, but you are a special messenger to the city that you live in, to your neighborhood. C.S. Lewis once said, there are, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is, Im Im but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Friends, it's simple. My big takeaway is to pursue unity, to live missional-minded, and start in your corner. Give it up for Pastor Allie as she comes. Good morning, fam. You want to know what I love about this series? I think that Love Where You Live is an invitation to advance missional transformation in your life. Missional transformation is the process of where believers align themselves, their passions, their desires, their behaviors, their habits with the missionary purpose of Jesus. And it requires significant shifts in the way that you and I interact with Jesus and his kingdom. Missional transformation requires a shift from doing church to being church. Because church is not something to do. The church is something to be. And so while what happens on Sunday is extremely important, it is not the primary expression of the church. And N.T. Wright describes it this way. And he describes what the church is and what the church is for by saying this. The church is first and foremost a community, a collection of people who belong to one another because they belong to God, the God we know in and through Jesus. He then describes the what the church is for by saying, the church exists for two closely related, correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. And the church gathered is extremely powerful, yet doing church on Sundays is not why the church exists. 
Being the church together in community requires a lifestyle of a worship and witness that extends beyond doing church corporately on Sundays. Being the church is daily. And we learn this from the way that Jesus lived his life here on earth. How about with the Samaritan woman? Jesus demonstrates his care for the Samaritan woman regardless of her social status or her sin at a well. With the layman, Jesus healed a layman out on a city street. A hemorrhaging woman, a woman touches Jesus' garments and is healed while he's walking out through a crowd in the city, traveling to someone's house. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, Jesus was passing through Jericho when he encountered Zacchaeus and then went to his house with James and John. Jesus called James and John while they were at work. All of these passages and so many more show that Jesus primarily engaged people through everyday encounters rather than in the temple or synagogues. So my biggest takeaway from the Love Where You Live series is this. Your greatest influence is outside of this building. We're not going to impact the city of Salem by only having church service on a Sunday. To be effective, we must go out through the Salem-Kaiser area to encounter those in need of the gospel. We must become an integral piece of the local culture, and we must embrace the opportunity to influence our culture. So for me, Love Where You Live is 24-7, not just an hour on Sunday. Love where you live doesn't stop when you drive away from this building. Love where you live doesn't stop when you walk into your house or to your job or to your school. Love where you live happens all over the place, not just in this auditorium. And love where you live happens in diversity, not just with people who act and think like you. Love where you live requires something from you. Love where you live serves those who you come in contact with. Love where you live is living sent in the place that you call home. John 13, verse 34 says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And it is so easy to read that verse and go, I've known that since I was in Sunday school as a five-year-old kid. But if you knew that, I think our city would look a little different if we actually operated in what that means. You should love people like Jesus has loved you. And so this caused me to ask myself, do I love people like Jesus loves me? Do I show the grace of Jesus to people like Jesus showed me grace? Do I show Jesus' mercy to people like Jesus has shown me mercy? Do I love like Jesus has loved me? It should cost you to love like you have been loved. And that's what this entire series is about. In conjunction with Acts 1-8, because we need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to love like this, right? We will never change the world by just going to church. We will only change the world by being the church. Don't sit here waiting for people to come. You are connected to individuals who never step foot in this building. And as you leave here today, your greatest opportunity to influence the city is outside of these walls with your circle. Next up, Pastor Rhonda. While I get set up, how many of you love our young pastors? Don't you just feel inspired when there's young adults who love Jesus and love you like our next-gen pastors do? Let's give it up for them. Can we do that today? Woo! I'm really excited to share my biggest takeaway from Love Where You Live series. And if you have your Bible, please put a finger in Galatians chapter 5. Before we started this series, if someone were to have asked me if I lived on mission for God, I would have quickly said yes. I'm very confident that my greatest purpose on this earth is to love and share Jesus so that others can know him too. But I don't know that I would have answered the question, do you love where you live, with the same confidence. The series has challenged me to think deeper about truths that I've lived my entire life. As each sermon unpacked the phases of my personal, my home, my circle, and city-focused transformation, I realized that my greatest weakness has been around inconsistency. So, my biggest takeaway is being intentional. For me, that's the key to loving where I live. Intentional means I'm getting clear up front about what I want to achieve. Being an intentional person means everything I do is done with clear purpose and focus. 
I don't know anybody that does that. Something intentional gets done on purpose. It's not an accident. It's deliberate. Think about that. When I'm being deliberate, it means I'm choosing carefully and thoughtfully. My choices are not rushed or without care. I'm being deliberate when I make very conscious choices and decisions. There are many things that can guide the choices I make, starting with something as simple as a basic need or a simple want. But there are also other things that influence my choices, like Pastor Kevin, my family, my friends, you as a church, my job responsibilities, my convictions, God's word, and even things like the pressures to be liked and valued or how I see myself. At any one moment, one or more of these things influence the decisions I make about how I live. Many of the things that guide my choices are not wrong or bad, but I think it's safe to say that I'm not always intentional and deliberate with every choice I make in life. So when pastors ask us to share our biggest takeaway and how we plan to walk that out, I went to a verse in the Bible that speaks loudly on being intentional God's way. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Will you turn and read it with me? It's so short. If you're slow to get there, we'll have it done. Galatians 5.25, it follows all of those fruits of the Spirit, and it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Ooh, do you think about that? That's really short and simple. But it leaves no doubt that living by the Spirit is letting the Spirit of God lead in every part of my life. I can't live like I'm in control or that my job dictates it or my family's needs dictate it or how I feel about the day dictates it. I have to listen to the Holy Spirit when I wake up in the morning and when I walk through the routines of my day. And even before I go to bed at night, I need to check in with the Holy Spirit and find out, was I on mission today? Could I do a better job tomorrow if I wake up and I go to sleep tonight intending to have a better listening ear? When I don't do this, I fall victim to unintentional living. And that doesn't change me. It doesn't change my home. It doesn't change my circle. And it won't change my city. I need to be intentional. For me, intentional living is spirit living. And I like it in the Amplified Bible, which is the uh, verse that's on the screen. And it says, if we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage. Our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. These are three practical parts to the pattern of walking intentional in the spirit. This first part is personal integrity. Personal integrity is when I have strong morals and values and I follow them in what I say and what I do. Being honest and taking responsibility is one of the greatest ways you can walk out personal integrity. Even a half-truth or deflecting is not integrity. A person in, in, with integrity does the right thing even behind closed doors when no one's watching. Examples of this are things like when I tell the cashier that she or he gave me too much change. Or how about you get home and you find out, oh, I didn't pay for this. And you actually make a trip back to the store and go back and say, hey, I need to pay for this. You didn't charge me. Or how about when I keep confidences and I avoid gossip? Or when I do what I actually said I would do? The second part of the pattern of spirit intentional walking is the pattern of godly character. Godly, godly character develops when I live my life with deep respect for and obedience to God's word. And the only way to have God's character is to actually know him 
And that happens through time spent in his word. I love that Sarah said it's what their curriculum is teaching our children. The Bible is the big story of God. And if you want godly character and you want to know God, you got to get into his word. And you got to learn the big story of who God is in every situation. Not just when Jesus walked the earth, but in the Old Testament when God knew his people would fall away from him and he had a plan for them. It's important to know the big story of God and develop his character. In my humanness. I will never truly be able to love where I live and the people around me if I don't have God's character. Without him, I'm too self-absorbed. I'm too prideful. I'm apathetic. I'm angry. I'm unforgiving. I'm impatient. The list of my humanness is really long. But walking in the spirit, yielding to his promptings, promptings is how I change to be like God. And so can you. And the last part of the pattern for spirit living is walking with moral courage. Moral courage is the ability to stand up for and practice what is ethical and what is moral. Moral courage helps me to take action when I see something or someone being wronged. Even when doing the right thing is not easy or it's not popular, Moral courage is something that walking intentionally in the spirit is something that will be evident in your life. The Bible is full of stories where men and women had moral courage. These individuals knew what was right and were willing to take a stand, even in spite of their own fear. They weren't perfect. I love that Pastor Sarah talked about, we don't do this perfect. They weren't perfect. But the heroes of our faith saw injustice as more than personal offense. How many of you can get really offended because it reflects you? Good heroes in the Bible, heroes of faith, they saw injustices and they, and they had moral courage because they saw it as an offense to God. How many of you get offended for God? We need to have moral courage. And then I think the key to all of this is that last part in the verse in the Amplified Bible where it says, my conduct, all of it, my conduct is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I love today is Pentecost Sunday. And I love that in every theme as we've shared, you hear the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life. I can't follow this pattern of um, personal integrity and godly carriage godly character and moral courage without the Holy Spirit and neither can you because our flesh is weak and we will never love our city like God does if we aren't intentionally spirit-led. Pastor Kevin. Awesome. Awesome. I love our staff. You know, we have an amazing team. Can you just give them a round of applause? Seriously. How, how many recognize that each of them are unique in their personalities? That each of them come up here with a different personality, they come up with a different voice, they come up with a different character and how they're carrying it out. And what I want you to grasp today is this. You may step back and go, man, I admire them. I want to be like that person. But can I tell you today that God created you to be you? And just in their uniqueness as they came up with their voice, their unique, their unique pattern, their unique behavior and how they dialogued and how they talked, you have a unique pattern and ability and a personality. You have a unique location that God's called you to. And that's why it's so important that we don't come up here and go, I want to be like. We just want to be like Jesus. Amen. And we want to be at walk in obedience to him. Everyone, when you came in, should have received a little baggie, a baggie of goodies. And I hope that you all did. If you did not, if you would raise your hand, an usher will get that to you as quickly as possible. Because we want this to be an action thing that you do with us today. Uh, You've heard some personal impacts. You've heard some personal statements of what uh, each person has taken away from it. And we're trusting. Our hope and our trust is that the Holy Spirit has spoke to your heart as well. Whether you've been here for all of the the weeks of of this series or you've just been here for a portion of it or maybe even just today is your very first time and you're coming and going, no, I like this idea. I need to love where I live. How do I do this? We're trusting not that our words have changed you. We're trusting that the power of the Holy Spirit has changed you. 
We're trusting that as we have preached the Word of God, that the Word of God is live, that it is active in our souls, it's active in our spirits, and that something that was said has touched your life. Last week, we dialogued about the love where you live mission in that sermon on Jeremiah 29, that chapter 29, and there were several words, several several verbs that were there. And Because many times we come back and go, well, how do we do this? And I want to just remind you that this is everyday life, that how do we love our city? How do we love where we live? We build, we plant, we marry, we multiply, we work, and we pray. We occupy, amen? Would you read those with me today? That we build, we plant, we marry, we multiply, we work, and we pray. What do we do tomorrow? Let's do it again. We build, we plant, we marry, we multiply, we work, and we pray. All these things, it's not just something that we get up in the morning and we just become. It's not just something that we just feel always. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of application. It's an act of action on our parts. Chuck Swindoll said this, uh, as Trenton pointed towards Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 is all about work. Everyone say work. How how many are thankful for a three-day weekend? Right? It's all, but can I tell you that the that the body of Christ being a believer is all about work, not works that we do to earn salvation from God, but to work for God, to work on behalf of God, to be his hand extended. And Nehemiah chapter three is all about God. And Chuck Swindoll says this: one of the most one of the powerful messages of, of the book of Nehemiah is how much you can accomplish when you align yourself with the will and plan of God. Nehemiah and his followers, he goes on to say, do what seems to be impossible because they are doing what God has called them to do. When we step back and we look at the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a book that's filled with a lot of stinking work, a lot of labor, a lot of just doing the the things that were not fun stone upon stone, replacing things that were broken, building things that have been demolished. Can I tell you that that's what God's called us to do in the city of Salem? Is to come and to do work. To come and to lean in and you're going, but I'm, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. God's going, I want to empower you to do and to make a difference. And I want you to work for me. I want you to rebuild. I want you to reconstruct. I want that, that gate over there that's broken. I want you to go fix that gate. That wall that's broke down, I want you to fix that wall. I want you to be part of the answer. When we see in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 7, Trent did such a good job in the facts and the concepts. If you have not gone on and downloaded that slide or took a picture of it, go, go get that and see the diversity of people that are in the city that did the work. But I want you to see in Nehemiah chapter 3, uh, this entire chapter, but verse 17 makes a statement. It says, next to him. Everyone say next to him. Next to him, the repairs were made by. Next to him, the repairs were made by. What I want you to realize in chapter 3 is that 28 times this word next is used. 32 verses, 28 times this word next is used, whether it's next to him or next to them. What What you have to step back and realize is that the diversity of people is that Kevin took responsibility for me, and next to him, Trenton took responsibility for him. And next to him, Allie took responsibility for her. And next to him, Steve took responsibility for him. And it has to come back to this place of next to them. Can I tell you that this cycle would be broken? The effectiveness of this wall being rebuilt would have been broken if the person next to so-and-so did not do their job. Can you feel the gravity today in this? We step back and we look in in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. It says, so the wall was completed. Everyone say completed. How many like when things get done? We just had our bark dust put down in our yard yesterday, and I didn't have to physically do it. And can I tell you, looking out there going, it was completed. Phew, wow, we like completed, right? We like this concept. It says, Nehemiah says, so the wall was completed in 52 days. Why was it completed? Because so-and-so next to so-and-so did what they were supposed to do, and -and so-and-so next to so-and-so did what they're supposed to do. How do we love where we live? We take responsibility. How do we love where we live? We do what our part is. How do we love where we live? 
We have to be what God's called us to be in our uniqueness and in our ability, in our personality, in our field where God's called us, outside our house where the wall is that is broken down. We need to fix our wall. We need to do our part. So as you pull out your little items in your bag here, you're going to have a three by five card. You're going to have a piece of chalk and you're going to have a pen that hopefully is not faulty. They checked all of them. But you know those really fancy church pens that we have. And the question that we have for you today is what is your place on the wall? What's your place on the wall? What is your place on the wall? If it's left up to you and our dependence on you, will the person next to us be the one that's fulfilling their job? Today we end where we began, you and God. Our series began with personal relationship with God and that God's speaking to us. And today we're coming to a place of, even though we've taken this journey together, it has to be a decision that you make, you and God. Gypsy Smith, an old evangelist, made this statement. He says, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. There on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within the chalk circle. We realize this. We can complete the wall around Salem if you do your part. You, we can complete the wall around Salem if I do my part. But it only can be not my manipulation of you or your manipulation of me. It has to be God's change of our hearts. Amen? So what I want to do just in the next few moments here, and my janitor is probably going to cringe as I say this, but I would really love for you to find a place in this sanctuary. The next few moments, the next five minutes or so, we're gonna take a moment of reflection. I'd really like you to get out of your chair. I'd really like you to find a spot, whether that's just stepping into the aisle, whether that's uh, getting in a spot by where you're at or filling this place up up here. I would really love for you to take this piece of chalk and maybe some of you cannot kneel, so some of you would just have to stand. I would like you to find a spot in this sanctuary and I would love for you to draw, your, draw a circle around yourself. Whether you can get on your knees or not, and would you say, Holy Spirit, would you break my heart? Holy Spirit, would you show me where my responsibility is? Holy Spirit, would you change my life? Would you give me a different perspective? It's not the magic of the chalk circle. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that wants to empower you. And as he speaks to you, would you write something down on this three by five card? And this three by five card is not for us, it's for you. It's for you to remember what you wrote down. You might write one word down, you might write a sentence down, but I would love for you to take just the next few moments and pray. So if you would, everyone would kind of just stand and move, go wherever you're going to go. Irritate our janitor by drawing a circle on the floor. Find a spot. And I'm gonna stop talking and then I'm gonna close in prayer in just a second. as we kneel around this room today, as we sit around this room today, as we stand around this room today, God, in this little circle, and we are saying, Holy Spirit, would you change me? 
Over 2,000 years ago, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered and brought boldness and courage and life change, God, today we ask, Holy Spirit, would you change us? Would you empower us? Would you give us boldness? Would you transform our perspectives? God, today, as we've written down these things upon this 3 by 5 card, God, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would not just write them on a sheet of paper, but would you write them on our hearts? God, would you implant them in our spirits, in our thought patterns? God, this is not just a little ditty that we've done, but God, we do want our lives to be changed and transformed. God, today, right now, we would you just lift your card to heaven? Would you just lift it around this room today? God, we lift these cards to you. We ask that you, through the power of your spirit, you would help us to be your hand extended. Would you help us to be what you've called us to be? Help us to step out in obedience and work these things for your glory and for your kingdom. God, empower us today. Give us boldness today. God, some of these are, I hope all of these are large things. God, that they're, they're going to take, take, take faith in you. God, would you give us faith? God, would you give us actions? God, I pray today that this would be the day that our lives are transformed. God, that we would be different and not just us be different, but the city of Salem would be different. And God, today as a corporate, we come and we thank you for this beautiful city. We thank you for the city where you've planted us, where you have put us. God, would you help us to be your hands extended? Would you bring peace in this beautiful city? God, would you help us to be the answers to situations and circumstances? God, give us creativity as a church. Give us creativity as a people. And God, we ask for revival to take place in the city of Salem, for the souls that are lost to know you, for darkness to be turned to light. God, in the name of Jesus, we ask for healings to take place and transformations to take place. And God, just all circumstances, God, that you would be glorified in the city of Salem. And God, I thank you for your people today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. I want to remind you that wherever you're at today, that you would go on and make sure you connect. Uh, we need you in Outflow. So if you have not signed up for Outflow, would you make sure you go do that? That would probably be action step number one before this one. Go sign up for Outflow today. Uh, as, and we, we need your help. We need your participation. If you're here today and you need someone to pray with you, our two prayer warriors, we have many of them, but two of them are representing our prayer warriors today, and they would love to pray with you, and we would love for you to participate in that. Have an amazing week. Uh, how many love Jesus today? Come on, let's give Jesus a round of applause. Shall we do that before you leave this place? Come on. Well, hey, that's half-hearted. Come on, let's give Jesus a round of applause this morning. Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next Sunday. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.